So describe to me what your work life is like right now as a teacher. Well, now it's 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 kind of like back to the way it was at the beginning. It's it's actually become fun. Um, I'm only there from eight to nine thirty-seven in front of students. Now sometimes I hang over a little bit longer to get some things done. But um, it it's it's different also in that my first class is a dual enrollment class, which means the kids are, are taking what they're taking for college credit as well as high school credit. Um, it's being served up to Piedmont Tech, the local community college. Uh, this semester it's uh, college trig, and next semester it will be first semester calculus. Uh, Tech has for years um, delivered their math courses with a component it's a web-based homework. Okay. And that now, since since I first did that a couple of years ago to now, pretty much the entire course is inside of what's called D2L or Desire to Learn. It's, it's like Blackboard or any of these other um, university slash college web platforms that a lot of them use. Um, they can transition to distance learning, online learning, or a hybrid. Um, my students, of course, are face-to-face with me, but all of their work is already preloaded inside of D2L. So what I get to do during that first 45 minutes is when we first started the course, yeah, I did some group instruction, but once the course formally launched and they all were inside of their own course shell, they were able to work at their own pace. So out of I guess nine students, and that's the other pleasure is I don't have big classes. Um, out of the nine students, two um, were like horses at um, the Kentucky Derby. They, they just launched. Once the gate opened, they were gone. And they manage their time very well. They get way ahead. Um, I have a couple who are you know going to bring up the rear no matter what. They're just not going to be aggressive as far as the horse race analogy goes. They're just not. But that's pretty typical. Um what I do during those 45 minutes is a student will call my name and I'll go over and help them. And it's kind of like, you know, who, who's, who's in the batter's box, who's on deck, who's in the hole. And they're all very well-mannered about waiting their turn. They pay attention to who asked me. And so the queue is, is well-maintained. And I move the entire 45 minutes and get to as many of the students usually multiple times um, during that 45 minutes. So it's real pleasure because whether or not they're the most precocious students or not, they all work at it. And so when I walk over and I've got them one-on-one, I I can actually know, mask on, of course, mask on, I can actually tell you if they're understanding what the problem's asking them to do or not, and I won't leave them until they've answered a number of questions for me that says they've engaged the problem. So that's good. Um, and then the second period is even smaller class. It's, it's seven students, and it's pre-calculus. So if we are successful this year with this course, then they will be the dual enrollment students next year. And that's it. When that's done, I might do a lesson plan. Um, I might transport some grades from uh, one system over into another system. Uh, 
and that's pretty much it. I walk out. Uh, I go take my walk either here or over at Landers Track. Um, if I have to run errands, I run errands. If I have to work in the yard, I work in the yard. Take naps. Go to church two nights in the evening. Um, very relaxed. Very relaxed. So that's with um, that's in person, correct? All right, but the architecture exists for some uh, some online components. Uh, do you remember if there was a big debate around whether in person would would uh, start back up or how you guys were going to do that, and, and how what was your kind of uh, feeling about that discussion? Yeah, um, the way uh, the best way to put it, I heard it said was if we're not in person. We don't exist. Um, that kind of makes sense to me when you think of it this way. Now, I didn't ask for confirmation about my observation, but, but I'm assuming it, so I'm, I'm being clear about that. Uh, when you're a private school and you're charging tuition, if you, if you are home, uh, meaning that your learning is now distant learning, Zoom-based, Google Classroom, what have you, then what distinguishes you from any other public or virtual platform? I mean, so in our case, it was like, we have to come back. We, we have to distinguish ourselves from the rest of the crowd. That said, that said, we are prepared that if we do have to um, exit the premises for what we would hope, of course, would be a temporary period. Um, yeah, we're much better equipped to handle it than we were last year. Um, we never saw this coming. Uh, other schools I talked to, I was tutoring other kids at the time, and, and they were public school kids. They, they were already enmeshed with the whole Google suite, um, very much enmeshed with it. But that doesn't mean that those schools were using it adequately, because the students I work with apparently, um, and this is no big surprise, it, it allows a, a school system to say, oh, we're, we were seamless, we were able to immediately go to the online platform, we never had a hiccup, this, that, or the other. But then when you go to a student and say, what have you been doing? And they go, well, I haven't heard from Teacher X in about two weeks. And all of our assignments are, are already posted in um, a, a drive. And if I need to send in work, I've got my built-in scanner inside of the Google Education Suite as well. I just scan it, and it immediately uploads, and it, and it drops it into the teacher's drive. Then you ask questions like, what kind of feedback are you getting? And they don't know what you mean. In other words, you don't know. Well, then at the end of the year, I found out that some of these schools, if not 100% of the ones I asked about, did not count the fourth quarter grades at all. So even though publicly everybody's being told that school was still happening, even though it was happening through Zoom or it was happening through Google or it was happening through some other WebEx platform, even though school was going on and evidently 
So basically, well, I, basically, uh, either a student or a teacher could have been napping for that entire amount of time. Oh, absolutely, and some were on both sides. Some were. I, I know that. I mean, without being in their houses, when I say I know that, I, I, my hunch is it, it, it. I feel pretty good about my hunch based upon the flesh and blood students I talked to who were going through the experience of the online environment. Um, in my case, I was having Zoom classes uh, four days a week. The fifth day was for them to contact me if they needed extra help. Now, to be truthful, um, I wasn't grading anything but on participation because this was unknown territory to us. I knew that some of my students were having to get in, the, in an automobile and drive down to the end of the road to somebody else's Wi-Fi signal because where they were located in the country, they, they could not get online in their house. So then I started thinking about some of the kids who live in, let's say, a, a, a dynamic environment where maybe one week they're with this parent and another week they're with a different parent, or this kid actually lives in Greenwood, this kid actually lives in Charlotte, North Carolina. In other words, there were so many different possibilities going on. And I even at the end of the course had parents um, finally reaching out and me saying, hey, you've never gotten in touch with me. And I'm going, well, here are the four different platforms where I've posted things. You know, which one did you not have access to? Um, I followed all of the, the directives that were given to me from the school to maintain that open line of communication. And everybody else had no problem. I mean, I was communicating by Remind, I was communicating by the school email, I was communicating by my own phone, I was communicating through Zoom, I was communicating through personal email. I mean, if, if a kid or a parent had a problem sending me an assignment one way, I was looking for another. And it was literally making me ill. I felt like I was playing pitcher and catcher at the same time. I would throw the ball and then I'd be expected to run down and get behind home plate and catch it. That, that's how bad it was. So being overly considerate of the situation and the fact that I didn't really know if a kid told me they were having technology issues or family life issues or somebody in the family actually had corona or whatnot, you know, how was I going to assess the veracity of it? And since I knew I couldn't, I said, well, there's no way I can fairly, with, with a situation I've never been in, I knew the kids never been in, how can I just say, okay, with the school is normal, um, I'm going to give instruction on Zoom Monday, and you need to have your homework in to me tomorrow morning. You know, I, I couldn't do that. Mm. So I did pretty much turn it to a participation grade. But nonetheless, nonetheless, for those kids who didn't get it in on time, they got a, a grade reduction. And the kids who never turned anything in did not pass that quarter. Now, fortunately for them, failing the fourth quarter, along with their third quarter grade, diminished the failure of the second semester, which was offset by the grade of the first semester, and they ended up passing the class anyhow. But like my daughter and I have said, did they learn anything? And the answer is no. I don't believe any uh, kids from the governor's school and very precocious students probably kept their learning going, probably did. But just like what I see in this neighborhood where I live right now, um, the students who have returned to school in the public schools, 
they alternate one week to the next week. One week they're in class three days and they're at home two, and then it flips the next week where they're in class two and they're home three. Now, when they're home, they're supposed to be doing either Zoom or Google work. And the whole idea behind it is to keep the class population at 50% of its normal load, you know, for social distancing purposes. But if anybody thinks that when those two or three days a week the kids are at home, that they're really attending to their studies and their learning, well, I've got some stuff to sell you. Because that's not happening. That's not happening. Kids are out walking the streets, shooting basketball, hanging out. And again, I'm being, I'm, I'm generalizing. I know I am. And there may be a few kids who are actually at home learning. But I, I promise you, sitting in front of a computer screen is in math, in math, is not the same as being able to be in the room in front of a teacher who can see your eyes and your facial reactions to a concept put before them that they don't understand. You know, you can immediately address it because you are occupying the same time and space with that person. You immediately know when something's not clear. You can't, you can't do that if you're expecting that kid to be working on assignments that you left for them to do inside the Google Drive because you've got another group of kids in front of you that you've got to pay attention to. But this other group that's at home, you know, how are you going to pay attention to some people say they're doing it, but I, I can't see how. So I think that you make a really good point in terms of private school, and I know I've had some interesting conversations with people about universities because basically for education that people pay for, um, especially in-person education, We've been told for many years that the value of certain educational experiences is being in person with it, and that's what differentiates, you know, Harvard from University of Phoenix, right? Right, right. Um, and then with this, with uh, presumably private schools and definitely with universities of, you know, we're going to keep all our prices the same, but you're going to get the remote version of things at least for a while, you know, is that like an, an internal contradiction? In, in, either admitting that you were, you know, the value of something was not the same, was not what it should have been before, or should not be what it is now. Does that make sense? No, no, it, it, bottom line, somebody's lying. Well, let's, let's cut the chase, and that sounds, that, that's, that's rather rude to say it that way, but somebody's lying. It, it, what you just said, e either... You were lying then or you're lying now. It, it either matters that, you know, could you imagine Socrates, you know, engaging in his Socratic method via online or via YouTube and, and think that there was a difference? Could, could you imagine, um, let's see, Jesus giving the Sermon on the Mount in a Zoom classroom? I saw a really great... Um uh, it was probably an Onion article, but it was it was one of those. But uh, it was um, the movie uh, Dead Poet Society, but over Zoom, <laughs> and uh, how it just didn't um, flow quite the same way. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, what, what kind of? Um, I hope I'm not too far on what you're saying, but the difference between in person and online was was brought to bear comically, but if, if you hadn't experienced it, you would not have gotten it. Kind of like humor. You know, you laugh at 
you laugh at humor when it has an element of truth, which can only be realized if you've actually experienced it. Um, one of the, a lot of the parents would be in the house when I was giving a Zoom session. Uh, a few would come on camera, but for the most part, they just kind of stayed in the background. If they were listening, you know, they could walk around and kind of see what was going on on the screen, that kind of thing. And one parent sent me an email within two weeks of us doing this stuff. And she, she kind of was a pilot. She said, Miss Blake, I hope you don't mind. I, I, I saw this on YouTube and wanted to share it with you. And if you don't mind, I just want to let you know this is exactly the way it is. And, I, of course, I didn't mind. Well, it was a bunch of um, English high school kids who mocked up a math class that was going on in Zoom. And they played all the roles. They played the teacher role. They played the student roles. And it was absolutely hilarious. It was absolutely hilarious. But it was on point. It was done in a humorous way. It was clean. There was no profanity or anything like that. You know, everybody kept their clothes on. You didn't have to deal with anything over the top. But you got the point real quick. And by the end of it, by the end of the, the, the faux math teacher just said, I've had enough, and drew his pencil back and walked away. It was like he was telling, cut your camera back on. You know, no, that's not what we're talking about right now, and on and on. Well, mine never got that crazy. You know, my, my students were either present and would ask questions if I asked them if they had a question, or they just sat silently. Some would bring in these little mock images of a friend and, and, and put it up on the screen instead of it being them. Others would have their screen cut off because, you know, they didn't get up and put their makeup on early enough. Um, others were scrambling eggs and didn't want us, the rest of us to see that they were actually cooking in the breakfast while watching a, a Zoom class on algebra, and, and so on and so forth. So, yeah, when you give, when you when you go remote like that, and you're dealing with teenagers in particular, unless they're precocious, you have no idea what they're doing on the other side of the, of the county. You have no idea what's going on. And I have a choice to make. I've got a 45-minute session before Zoom wants to charge me. And I can either try to link 45 back to 45, which I didn't want to do for sanity's purposes. Or I can spend all my time saying, cut your video back on, cut your video back on. Uh, Johnny, I need you to unmute so I can hear your voice. I can spend all my time doing that. Well, I can focus on instruction, and then at the end of class, say, all right, if I cut your camera back on, I need to make sure you're still there. And then go around one at a time and say, when I call your name, I want you to demute and answer me. Okay, Jimmy, do you have a question? And you hear Jimmy demute, no, sir, or yes, sir, or follow up. And every once in a while, you get this serious kid who will, you know, contact you later, say, Mr. Blake, can you meet me in Zoom? I'm having a problem with something. Sure, thank you very much. I'd love to do that. And... Almost like being one-on-one because you only had them on Zoom with you. I could write up what they were telling me on a sheet of paper, hold it to the camera, which I normally did it on a whiteboard, and had it positioned my laptop real carefully so it appeared to be like a whiteboard in a classroom. Um, it, you could clear up anything, any ambiguity or any uncertainty they had pretty quick when you were doing it one-on-one. -on -one. But when you're one-on-many and it's Zoom, and it's like the Brady Bunch. Man, it's, it's, it's hard. It's, it's very difficult. Would I want to pay the same amount of money for an education that was an inset in a Zoom classroom, 18 little pictures on a screen, and as, as a uh, student or the parent, a 
I also knew what the dynamic was going back and forth and with any memory of what it was like to have been a student in a classroom with other human beings, it wouldn't take me long to realize the two are not equivalent. They're not equivalent. And I would much more so place value on the in-person instruction than the remote instruction. And back to the beginning of your question, if I think paying the same tuition for online experience is justifiable to in-person experience, then somebody needs to answer for that. Somebody needs to answer for that. And the best way to do it is for parents to just walk away with their pocketbooks mm -hmm. and allow these institutions like the Harvards, the Yales, the MITs, let them take their endowment funds down to nothing. And if that's what it takes to get their attention to realize that that's not the same. You know, technology is not the answer to everything. It's simply not. And, and it's appropriate for what it's appropriate for. And it's very useful as an assist for what it's very useful for as an assist. But it's not something that's compatible with human life taken in total. And I think once we start displacing people's ability to come together, especially when it comes to health care or education or soul care, and we think we're going to do it remotely, that, that to me, that's inhuman. And, and to think that one can charge the same for it, that, that, that boggles the mind. Boggles the mind. Um, I, I remember all these different ad campaigns for different technology over the years, and essentially, you know, like, um, you, you know, um, this tool makes it like this other experience, and you know, um, you know, this uh, Zoom makes it like your family members are, are right there with you. Well, it, it's like that, but it's not that, you know, like. A photograph of food is like food, but it's not, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's like trying to equate the sandwich with the menu that is trying to describe the sandwich. Uh, to, to what you just said, I just saw it um, yesterday. It was a little news item, interest, uh, interest item. Uh, a couple had been married 75 years, 75 years. And so they couldn't have... You know, that, that, that big anniversary get-together. So well-wishers and family members had to come by a, a big picture window of their house like a parade and wave at them and blow them kisses or hold up cards or whatnot. And the poor man, dear man, was wiping tears out of his eyes. Now, one could say, well, those were tears of joy. And I would say, or are those tears realizing I want to hug that person. I want to be in the room with that person. I, I want to be able to sit down with that person, all the others. I want to hear the music. I want to hear the laughter. I want to hear the talking. I, I want to actually know that I'm sitting right by that person as we talk and share the memories or the advice somebody might ask me for having been married for 75 years. But all I get to do now is wave through a, a, a pane of glass. There's a good use of technology that I couldn't be. I didn't know who this couple was. So I'm learning about their story through a news interest element. But then in my mind, 
right now is not well off. She's 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 in a, uh, a home down in um, Florida right now, and nobody can go in the room and see her right now. And I talked to my sister, and she said, "Well, the staff there has said that at this point somebody can come up and and wave at her behind a piece of glass." But it's like my sister said; she said she wouldn't do that to mom right now. That'd be more upsetting to her than uplifting for her. And so there's my poor mom who, if she manages to stay alive in that environment down there, she'll be 90 here in another month. And there she is, isolated. No family there. None. And she's been there since she broke her femur July, June or July. That's a while now. Yeah. And because she's not moving, she, forget COVID, if, if she gets a cold, it's probably going to kill her. Because her lungs will fill up. She's not moving around. Yeah. It'll flip to pneumonia in no time. Well, and, you know, not to say phone calls aren't nice, but in that circumstance, a phone call is not the same as being there in person. Right, and I, and I do get to talk with her on the phone. I have to, I have to go through gyrations to make that happen. I first talk switchboard. Switchboard comes back three times and finally says, says, would you like me to contact the nurse's station? Well, I've learned now just when I get on the phone, so would you contact the nurse's station? Because there's no point in me waiting to ask that question five minutes from now. And they take me to the nurse's station. I tell the nurse's station, now I tell them, rather than would you contact me to my mother's room, 222, would somebody get up, walk down there and hand her the phone and tell her it's her son? Because, see, if I don't tell them what to do, They'll just try to ring the next person. And I'm sitting here 650 miles away waiting what seems to be an interminable interminable period of time to hear her voice. When I finally hear her voice, it depends upon how much pain med she had that day as to what it's going to sound like or where I am in the day after the administration of the pain med. So that's, that's hard. Um... She's a strong woman, you know, she, she's got a good mind on her, and if, if she's pretty much clear, we have normal conversations, but you know, that's just because how strong she is, you know, that she's able to do that, but um, again, that that's, you know, if this crap was not going on right now, I assure you that she would be getting visited daily. kind of goes full circle with what I was saying, this whole we've got to do something attitude and, and we're not thinking about what's it costing people in terms of no hugs, no visits you know, no contact and what's that costing us mentally right. spiritually you know, what's that cost physically what's it costing us because you know, all that stuff's connected You know, if you start getting depressed, your, your physical health is going to degrade well and I'm trying to think of the best way of phrasing this, but, you know, uh, the... Just say it. Well, uh, you know, the what risks are posed by visiting somebody on their deathbed, essentially. Say it again? What, the risks that are posed by visiting someone on their deathbed. Does that make sense? What risks are in by visiting somebody on their deathbed? Meaning, I understand why we are limiting um, access to 
retirement homes and things like that. Um, but if someone's on their deathbed and they're, you know, basically a day or an hour away from de- uh, passing away anyway, and then they're, right. you know. Right, right. No, that, that's a valid point. It, it's, it, and, I mean, let's, let's expand outward on that. Number one, that's, that's the most critical valid point, is that no one could even think that they're off of it. Now, I can, I can assure you I know what their comeback is going to be, but it, but, it, but it can be easily um, mitigated or, or optimized or whatever the word you want to use. In other words, if they say, yeah, but you know, you're coming in to, to visit this loved one who we don't know how long they're going to live, but we, we assume it's not going to be long and it's more important they see a family member than not. But what about these other ones who don't have family members? You, you potentially could be carrying it in here and you're going to kill them. And, and again, it goes to what you're saying, and, and you're right. We're, we're, we're taping this thing, and some people are going to probably be offended by what, what we're insinuating, but I'm just going to go ahead and step on it. You know, if you're in your 80s or 90s, and again, I'm just going to say it, why are you worried about COVID? Hmm. What, what are you, why are you worried about that for? Let's just cut to the chase. If you're fearful of dying and you're 80 or 90, you haven't thought about it. You, you have not given it any serious thought. Do you really think you're going to live forever? I'm 62, and I know I'm not going to. You know, it's not the same as if I went to the doctor today and he said, you've got stage four whatever cancer, get your affairs in order, you might have two months. I get that. I know there's a difference between actually being told or actually seeing it, your life passing in front of your eyes. There's a difference between seeing it intellectually and and knowing it as real. I, I know there's a difference. But, you know, as you age, as one ages, as a person ages, if one doesn't reflect on their mortality, then they're really kidding themselves. Because it's going to happen. So back to your point, you know, I'll put it like this. My wife, you know, worked for a urology practice for years and years and years. And one of the things that the urologist would tell an elderly man who came in was diagnosed with prostate cancer was, if I were you, just go on and live your life because something else is going to kill you before this cancer is. Because it was a, it, um, prostate cancer is a slow-growing cancer for the most part. It's slow growth. So they would tell me, I wouldn't get it treated. I'm just going to live my life because even though you have cancer and in time it could kill you, it's more likely that something else is going to kill you than this. Well, after the numbers that I told you earlier on in this conversation, you know, the survivability of COVID is a very high, very high. Now, if it's higher in the elderly and the compromised health community, well, I need to tell you, you probably, if you kept on aging and or kept on eating um, donut fried hamburgers, cheeseburgers for, for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and snacks in between, you were probably going to die, quote, early anyhow. You know, you weren't doing all you could have done, or or the creator dealt you a bad set of gene cards. But nonetheless, something else was probably going to kill you first. And when you put, when you put perverse incentives by way of stimulus into a hospital system whereby you collect 
COVID test, and then an even larger extra chunk of money if you at least had that person for an hour on a respirator before they died. And if you put on that death certificate the word COVID and respirator, that hospital now picks up, what, 50-something plus thousand dollars, then is it possible? Is it possible that tests get switched? Is it possible that somebody gets misdiagnosed? Is it possible that somebody out and out frauded a death certificate? Well, all those things are always possible anyhow. But when you give a strong inducement to it, it's like those little kids. You've seen them on YouTube, or if you haven't, you can check it out sometime. Um, I think it's cruel, by the way. These parents think it's funny. They put it on Facebook or they put it on YouTube. They'll put a bowl full of jelly beans in front of a two-year-old and, and tell the two-year-old that they just need to sit there and keep a watch on the jelly beans because mom is going to go put some towels in the dryer. And if they promise they won't touch the jelly beans, when they get back, they're going to let them have the jelly beans and they're going to give them something else. You know, they're, they're going to, quote, sweeten the sweet. And they leave a camera. And these kids are so used to being recorded by their parents anyhow. They think nothing of the fact that the iPhone is recording all of this. And so the parent walks away while filming their kid, and the kid's looking at the jelly beans, looking at the phone, looking over their shoulder to see where mom is, etc., etc., to see whether or not they're, they're going to be infants of integrity or not. And then when the mama or daddy comes back, they ask them, did you have any jelly beans? And the whole idea is, did the kid lie? Did the kid take a jelly bean, this, that, or the other? And everybody thinks it's real fun to do that to a two-year-old. I don't. But now, what if a two-year-old is a 57-year-old CEO of a hospital? And instead of jelly beans, it's $50,000 per death. I assure you whether they would ever acknowledge it or not, part of their thought process is, if I don't get the 50000 another hospital is. Hmm. And uh, I, I know that there are some, um, and I won't name names, but who have done that. You know, they've they furloughed employees while, while pushing the COVID idea. Furloughed nurses, furloughed doctors. I know practices here in this county who for two months, the physicians did not get paid in order that they could keep their nurse, nursing staff a paycheck coming. And the reason is patients didn't want to come into the office risk catching the COVID. There have been so many negative, perverse consequences to how we've reacted to this thing that I, I think we've only scratched the surface on. I think when all this finally unwinds, if anybody's been documenting any of this stuff, um, and if anybody does any kind of honest research and can actually get records, um, it's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be pretty. Um, the question is going to be, what would we do if we learned all this to be true? What would we do? You know, I, I think, what, who was it? Um, what was that, that novel years and years ago about how things would happen so fast that people just couldn't keep up with all of it? I, I know um, John Nesbitt did an element of it, Megatrends, back in the late 80s, early 90s, but there was another book even before that, I want to say it was in the 70s, that, that touched on it. And the idea was that technology was going to pick up at such a pace that it was going to cause an information overload that people just were not going to be able to process it. And I think we, we crossed that route.
like a Kurt so I don't know. Vonnegut I mean, thing. Would be interested in, you know? Reminds me of a Kurt Vonnegut book, maybe. Yeah, he he might have touched on it, um, but he wasn't so much the technology guy. I don't think um, he could have touched on it. Let me ask you this: so, uh, some of your children are educators now as well, correct? Jessica's actively Kyle threw in the towel after three years. Okay. Well, uh, so what's uh, What's her experience been like dealing with a lot of these same issues, but probably in a, in a uh, public school setting? Yeah, um, I'll, I'll begin with this, and then I'll try to um, flesh out what I think and what she's told me so far. Um, I commented, and remember now, she's a, K, she's a kindergarten teacher, and, I, and I'm a high school slash um, early college type teacher. So we're on opposite ends of the spectrum, the formal spectrum. Um, I said to her... Uh, she was over at the house one day when I had Zoom classes going on, and we wrapped up. I went outside for her and the grandbabies, and I told her, I said, you know, Jessica, I said, we've been doing this since March 13th. I said, we've gone from March 13th, and we're going to go to the end of the year having done this. I said, you do know this means that for the next 12 years minimum, education will now be behind an entire nine weeks' worth. Meaning... No learning, no real authentic learning happened over the final nine weeks that would give the, the, let's say you finished first grade this year, there's no way that next year's second grade teacher would expect the incoming, the new second graders to know everything that the previous years knew, because that second grade teacher is going to know that that incoming class only really received teacher instruction for three of the four nine weeks. And she immediately agreed. She said, Dad, you're right. I didn't think about that. But she immediately got it. In other words, again, it's the domino effect. You cannot make up for lost time. When that time's gone, it's gone. You don't get it back. You, know, you can't pretend you're going to get it back because you extend the school year 15 days. 15 days after you knocked out 90 days or whatever number of days it was, 45, 60, whatever it was. Um, you, you just can't. It's not the same. Now, presently, um, they're still, from what I get from her, that they started out this school year pretty much acting like last year didn't happen the way it happened. Um, they're doing all that testing. Um, she's having to go in and assess where the kids are. Well, since it's K-5, that kind of sort of makes sense because still, even though they have a K-3, K-4 in some public schools, Typically, you don't really start formally caring what the kids know or don't know till almost like K-5, anyhow. So I can understand where her approach is going to be pretty much the same as it's always been. Um, they are in the classroom. They, they are not doing any kind of remote work. She's in Iowa. That's in Anderson County. Uh, they're not doing any remote work at this point. Um, let's see, I'm saying it on the line has a full day. Uh, my granddaughter, eldest granddaughter, her daughter, is at the school with her in another teacher's class. Uh, their days are long. She still hangs around after school for extended periods trying to get the lesson ready for the next day. She's tired. So for her, as far as the beginning of this school year goes, it's pretty much a typical school year. 
question is going to be is if they start getting a number of positive cases inside the school building, does that district have some kind of policy about closing the school down? Uh, I don't know. Even our school, you know, we, we've had kids test positive, but we haven't closed the school down. We, what we, we have a protocol in place. We contact uh, the parents of the kids who might have been in close proximity to the one who tested positive, so that contact trace. And depending upon whatever the factors are that I'm not aware of, because I'm not an administrator, I suppose that some of the kids and or adults who were in close contact with the one who tested positive might have to go home for a period of time to self-quarantine to be sure that they either remain asymptomatic or get tested and the test comes back negative. Hmm. So I, I think that's what most places are doing in the South. Uh, I'm, that's pure guesswork because I don't go to the State Department's webpage and read what they're saying. I just kind of go by what's happening around me. I, I think Jessica's, Jessica's life is pretty much to me, what it was before all this happened. Yeah. I think it's interesting because, um, and older kids, you know, have standards of comparison because, you know, they were cognizant when, when, um, everything started a couple months ago. Um, but the thing I've wondered is for really small kids, how, you know, 10, 15 years from now, they're all going to have these really weird memories of, this period that we're in, which even if it goes on for another year, you know, to like a four-year-old that's still not that much, they're still not going to be fully cognizant. But uh, just how that's going to have some place in their life. Yeah, yeah. We we think about that in terms of, for instance... Lived in a different place when Jeremy and Jessica and Kyle were very, very young. Well, we know Kyle has no memory of it. Jeremy has some memories of it. I, I would guess they're grainy. Jessica, we're kind of not sure about, and that has to do with how old they were at the period of time they they, they were there and how long we were there. Would Josie may remember ten years from now if the mask wearing goes away in six months or a year? If it goes away, will Josie may remember it when she's older? Yeah, she'll remember it. Will it be a big deal? My guess is no. Uh, thinking of the other three who range in age from four to two, if this goes away in six months to a year, do I think it's going to long-term impact them? No. Why? Because they're being raised in what I would call a traditional nuclear family environment. They... Um, have very good relationships with their parents. Their parents have them active in the typical things that little kids are active in. The accommodations required, say they're going to dance and they have to wear a mask when they put on their mat. Uh, soccer, I don't think they're doing all that. Um, it's school, for instance, where Jason, Jason May is the eldest of the four. She has to wear a mask into the building. When she gets into her classroom, she can take it off. When she leaves the class to go to the lunch,
lunchroom, she has to put it on to go down the hallway. When she gets into the cafeteria and sits down, she's able to take it off. In the cafeteria, when she's eating, she has to stay six feet apart from others. But they're allowed to talk. So, is there a difference when you're talking to somebody and you're respecting that seven-foot distance versus when you're up close shaking hands or giving a hug? Yeah, sure. When, when Jeremy had his thing over at um, Laura's house, nobody cared about that. Nobody cared about that social distancing thing. Nobody was wearing a mask. We all hugged. We shook hands. Now, there, was, there were not 200 people there. You know, it was not what I would call a so-called spreader event, but if somebody had had it, carrying it, somebody there could have got it. But, you know, somebody who gets in a car this afternoon and drives two miles down the road could get in a car wreck. You know, somebody who goes swimming today could drown. Um, I was watching videos of Hurricane Sally coming ashore in Pensacola, and I was looking at the waves. I thought when I was a teenager, I would go out and try to get in it. Now, a weather person or my mom or somebody else would say, well, you're crazy. Like, that's what I do. I surf, okay? And you don't get waves like this unless there's a storm out there. You don't get them. So you, quote, take risks. Well, what you do every day. You do every day, but you just don't think about it like that. You know, I was telling the wife uh, just today, I said, when you go down um, Hillcrest Farms Road, and I described to her where, I said, there's a dead pine tree. I said, I want you to be aware of it so that when you're going down that road, especially if you're coming back from one end, I said, you're going to come over a hill. I said, if you're not looking for that tree, if it's across the middle of the road, I said, it's going to be a bad day. Um, we're going to have thunderstorms here in the next day or two. Are we going to lose power? I hope not. Could a tree go down? Absolutely. You know, a tree went down on June 16th right up the road from me, and I saw the power lines shaking and going down. Well, what if a car happened to be going by at the moment that tree came down. That would have been a bad day for that person. Now, I know people will say, well, there's a big difference between isolated fatalities and something that we know is killing a large group of people. Let's go back to facts again. Has it really killed a large group of people? Talk about the virus again. Has it really killed a large group of people? Right. And that whole concept of, well, it's an abundance of caution. Well, that's a real estate term in, in eyes of the law that now you're being you, 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 you are reacting to something that's unknown because you feel like you have to do something in a nutshell that's what we've done um if you had to make predictions what do you think the next six months to a year are going to look like and what do you think a return to normalcy will look like for, for education in, in the settings that you're kind of operating in? Well, first of all, you got this ugly thing called the election that's going to be kind of planted in, in that, and, and I think that could have some effect um, in terms of all that other stuff that we see going on around us. Um, Education-wise, best I can tell is when, when all when the hoopla about education and distance learning, whether or not schools were ready to reopen and all that, started raising its head in late August, the first thought in my mind was, why are we just now talking about this? Then I thought, 
Well, it's being talked about because that's when the media brought it to everybody else's attention. I'm sure it was talked about last spring. I'm sure it was talked about over the summer. A lot of folk, though, in education have well-compensated positions to wait for an email to arrive so they can forward that email. They wait for the email to show up to tell them what workshops they're going to go to to know what they're going to do to construct a crisis plan or a uh, online learning, distance learning transition plan or how to notify the public about what they're doing plan and so on and so forth. I think a lot of that did take place. I don't think the, the public, and, and this includes classroom teachers, became aware that any thought about it was going on until late August. Because most teachers had no idea what the plan was going to be until they were getting those last-minute letters from their administrators about, we can't wait to get you back to school, and this is what we plan to do. <coughs> Since all that transpired so late, and it's just now September, so we've only been back in school for a month, it's going to be somewhat hard to, to try to prognosticate what to expect. The, the, it's, it's, it's difficult. It, it would be very difficult. For instance, me talking here right now, if, if I was told by way of email over the weekend that go ahead and initiate your online learning platforms for Monday, I wouldn't like it, but I wouldn't be shocked by it. Because of how I don't know what the triggers are. I, I, I know the virus is still being talked about. I know we still get information on that all the time. Uh, I think the, the average folks are tired of it. I think students are tired of it. I think the adults are tired of it. I think most people want to, quote, go back to the way it used to be. Yet, I think a number of people have so bought into the idea that this thing is to be feared and, and the mask wearing and the distancing and all that stuff is so well entrenched that it can continue for as long as the authorities want to continue it. And education kind of gets tied into that. That if anybody out there right now, whether it's um, a consultant, whether it's a state official, whether it's an independent association official, whether it's a local mayor or county council member, whatever, if they're receiving any perks or benefits out of us doing it the way we're doing it, it will continue. It will go past six months. What might cause them to pull the trigger to, quote, retract it and pull it all back in again? I have no idea. I have no idea what would cause that to happen. Um, so honestly, I, I, you ask me that, I have no crystal ball on the matter. None. Yeah. None. I, I just don't. I mean, I, it, 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 for me to even try to make it up right now would be difficult to do. Because I'm in, I'm in a place in my life I never anticipated. Never, ever, ever. Last March, when we were told to prepare two weeks' worth of assignments, get them posted online and go home, and that was what we were told, and then in less than a week, we were being asked questions about, so what are you doing now, and what is your plan now, this, that, and the other, and it's like, well, you knew all this was going to happen. No, we didn't. 
we had no idea this was going to happen. So the people above us were, were putting all kinds of pressure on us to know what to do next, and we had no idea what to do next. Hmm. And so we, we hit the ground, we started scrambling, and some of us were talking, and and for instance, I knew nothing about creating a YouTube channel. I think I've told you this. Jessica taught me how to do that. I knew nothing about how to do Zoom. I hadn't learned how to do Zoom. I had people contacting me from at least five different formal channels because we could not get uniformity because we weren't prepared for it. We were so not prepared for it. So at this point, at this point, if something happened, I would want to believe we're in a better position because we're now in a, in a Google suite situation. So we have greater uniformity. I've already introduced it to the two classes I teach, so they know what we would do if we were forced to go home again. I don't want us to go home again. I, I, I don't. I think that would put an end to it for me. I mean, I would make it through. I'd get the kids through the year, but um, that would be it. Because, this, again, this isn't something I ever ever planned on happening. Yeah. In a way, I'm, I, I feel good about myself that, that as long as I've been doing this and as old as I am, that I was able to navigate it, that, that I hadn't become that rigid that I could not learn something new and, and, and be flexible enough to make those changes, because I did. But again, I don't think they're nearly as efficacious as the way we did it before. Not nearly. Nowhere close. I'd be lying to, to anyone to say that, oh, we learning continued exactly as it did before. No, it didn't. And it won't if we go back to that. It just won't. It's not the same. And predicting the future, I, I, I can't. Wish you could. Wish you could.